Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Manifesting Brilliance Living Your Authentic Life podcast. My name is Jerome Emhoff. I'm the host, and I am really happy to welcome you to this conversation today. The podcast uh, episode is entitled Being a Miracle Worker. If you've listened to uh, the podcast before, you know that I record it from my home in Palm Springs, California. I'm actually sitting in my home office um, at my desk recording this podcast on the uh, my trusty iPhone with a really decent mic. That means a couple of things. First, it means that anybody can record a podcast because I'm doing it. Um, but the other thing it means is that you're likely to hear some background sounds from time to time. You might hear the sounds of my household. You might hear the sounds of my neighborhood. And uh, that's because I'm not in a sound booth. I'm not in a recording studio. This is very low tech, but hopefully the information I'm offering will be insightful and it will help you to think about your own spiritual path in a new way. That's really what this is about. It's uh, I'm excited about the things I'm learning about about. Uh, the spiritual path we're all on. And um, I'm excited and I feel called to teach these these things. And so that's what this is about. So hopefully you find this really beneficial and, uh, and can forgive the fact that it's a little bit uh, low tech. Before we begin, I'd like to uh, lead you in a, a reflection, a little bit of a meditation, just to sort of allow us all to be present in this moment, uh, to arrive in whatever space you're in, and to sort of let go of anything that might be keeping you from being completely present in this moment. Uh, as I've done in the past podcasts, I'm going to use a reflection, which I'm borrowing from Marianne Williamson. Now, Marianne Williamson is a I think she's one of the most important spiritual teachers of our time. And uh, she's written a number of books, uh, including the New York Times bestseller, A Return to Love, which has been out for more than 25 years. I've read it a number of times. I've also had the opportunity to hear uh, Marian Williamson lecture live on three separate occasions. Uh, I've met her twice for just five minutes as she signed my book and posed for a photo. Uh, but, um, and I've listened to her, her lectures on audio tape, uh, back in the eighties and nineties and, uh, watched her live stream, uh, on online. And, uh, so she's been a huge part of my spiritual journey and, um, I call her a paper mentor, um, which is a term I had borrowed from another, uh, writer by the name of Sark and Sark's. Uh, in one of her books, writes about mentors who have had a huge impact on us, but we may not have ever met. Uh, but they impacted us through their writing and the and the arts and the different things they've put out into the world. Um, so Marion Williamson is certainly um, a mentor for me uh, through her books and her lectures and, and just the work she's done. So this is a reflection I've brought from her, as I said. So if it's safe for you to do so, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes and just to allow yourself to become really aware of your breath and of the chair you're sitting in and the space you're in. Place your right hand over your heart and your left hand over your right hand and take a deep breath with me. 
And on the exhale, just imagine yourself releasing any tension, any anxiety, any doubt, any fear. And take another deep breath in. And release that as well. And as you're sitting there, just aware of your breath. I know I'm reminded of the conversation we had in the last podcast in which we talked about God creating Adam and breathing his own breath into Adam, giving him life and a soul. And so our breath is really, in so many ways, our connection to the divine. Now we see in the middle of our minds a beautiful ball of golden light. We watch this light grow larger and larger until now it fills the entire inner vision of our minds. We see for ourselves within this light a beautiful temple. We see a garden which surrounds the temple and a body of water which flows through the garden. We see that the inside of the temple is lit as well with the same beautiful golden light. And here we are. For we have been called together by the power and into the presence of God. And we pray that God's Holy Spirit would lift us above all fear, all doubt, all anxiety, all illusion to the love that lay beyond. And we release anything that we are carrying right now that is burdening us. And we ask God to help us to become the men and women that he would have us be. And so it is together we say, Amen. So to get started um, with the conversation, um, uh, I'd like to just share a little bit about um, The Course in Miracles and sort of lay a foundation before we get into the, the idea of um, what it means to be a miracle worker. Uh, the Course in Miracles is actually a set of three books. Um, there is a textbook. There's a workbook of 365 exercises. And the intention is that if you're a student of the course, you would do one of those um, exercises each day. Um, and then there's a workbook or a handbook for students. No, I'm sorry, not for students, a handbook for teachers. So uh, in most cases, all three, t all three volumes are included in one book. Um, so the, the book that I have is all three of the various books included in a single volume. The crux of the course is the 365 lessons. So if you're working the text, or if you're working the course, that's really where you want to, to be at some point. Now, you can read any of the three books in any order you want. You can read them simultaneously, which is what I have done, um, the times I've done it. Um, what's interesting is that the 
the workbook itself helps your it's a mind training so it helps your mind to begin to think in the the manner that the text sets forth so as i it took me more than a year to go through the course the first time and as i was uh, doing the lessons and reading the texts um, i found that the text became easier for me to understand as i was working through the lessons and there was a really nice correlation between the things I was reading in the text and the things that I was um, uh, reading in the exercises. Um, so you can read the, the, um, the three books in any order you want. You can read them simultaneously. As I said, the course does say that whichever book you start with, that you read it from the beginning. So you don't jump around. And if you're working through the exercises in the workbook, you only do one lesson per day. So you never endeavor to do more than one lesson in a day. However, you can stay on any particular lesson for as long as you like. So when I was doing it the first time, there were times when I would stay on the same lesson for a few days, just because it was very rich, or um, I felt like I needed more time with it to really grasp what it was uh, teaching me. So the course is not a religion. Uh, it does not contain any doctrine or any dogma. It does use Christian terms, but it uses them in psychotherapeutic, psychotherapeutic or metaphysical ways, not necessarily in Christian or religious ways. Um, but it does use Christian terminology. Uh, students of the Course come from all religions, and they come from no religion. Um, Marion Williamson herself is Jewish. Uh, so I'm Roman Catholic. Um, uh, so, so I'm familiar with the Christian terminology, whereas Marian Williamson, having grown up in the Jewish faith, probably wasn't as aware of some of the, the Christian um, references. Uh, the course is a self-study program of spiritual psychotherapy and a mindset training in the relinquishment of a thought system based on fear and the acceptance instead of a thought system based on love. So just some find foundational elements before we dig into the topic of being a miracle worker. I'd like to read to you from the introduction of the Course in Miracles because this introduction sums up the Course very concisely. I mean, the Course is extremely deep and there's a lot of really great material within the course, but this one foundational thought um, is really what it's all about. And it's going to really play into our conversation about being a miracle worker. So the course begins with this introduction. This is a course in miracles. It is a required course. Only the time you take it is voluntary. Free will does not mean that you can establish the curriculum. It means only that you can elect what you want to take at a given time. The course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love, for that is beyond what can be taught. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. The opposite of love is fear, but what is all-encompassing can have no opposite. This course can therefore be summed up very simply in this way. 
Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I would just want to stock, uh, start by talking a little bit about what it means from a metaphysical perspective or from um, a spiritual perspective for something to be real. We live simultaneously in two different worlds. We live in the world of form or the physical reality, which is the earth and all, all of the things in it, right? Uh, your body, um, your home, right? So there's that physical existence. But we also, um, as you know, if you've been on a spiritual path, we are spirits and souls in a body. And so we also live simultaneously in a spiritual world. It's the world that we can't see. Um, it's the world of our mind and of our spirit. It's the inner world. It's the ethereal world, right? And we live in those two worlds simultaneously. One of them is real and one of them is not. And we're going to kind of get to that right now. When I'm working with my coaching clients, um, with my life coaching clients, I will say to them, um, I will ask them this question. Do you have a soul or do you have a body? Do you have a soul or do you have a body? And the answer I almost always get is, well, I have both. And then I, I, I challenge that thought right away and I say, no, you don't. You are a soul. You are a spirit. And you have a body temporarily. If we want to really get technical, you are a soul that's inhabiting a body, that's physically focused in a body. Um, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's say you are a spirit, you are a soul, and you have a body. Just very quickly, the difference between spirit and soul, they can be used somewhat interchangeably, but here's the, the distinction um, that I read. Sonia Choquette, uh, who's a, a, a writer and a teacher, gave the best description of this that I've ever heard. The spirit, we're all made from, well, we all have spirit in us, right? And the spirit is uh, God energy, it's source energy, it's pure love. That's the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. That's the spirit that Adam received when God breathed into him. And that's the breath that we all carry. That's the spirit. We all have that spirit. Our soul is different than that spirit. It's made up of the same stuff. But when we're talking about the soul, we're talking about the spirit that dwells within you, because it's all the same spirit. We all share the same spirit. It's all the same breath that God breathed into everybody, right? But we're individual souls, right? Collectively one spirit, but our souls are different because we have different life experience. 
So our soul is the spirit in addition to our life experience. The joys, the pain, the experiences that we've had in this lifetime. Now, if you believe in past lives, and some of you probably do, your soul would then have many past lives and all of those experiences would be part of what we can cons uh, consider the soul. Okay, so again, we are souls, we are spirits that inhabit bodies. We are spirits, we have bodies, which is real. Okay, so I also take my clients through this conversation. I will say to them, is the chair you're sitting in real? And of course, the answer is, yes, of course, it's real. I'm sitting in it. It's concrete. I, you know, it's under me. It's holding me up. Yes, it's real. Absolutely. Great. Okay. Is the table you're sitting at, is that table real? Yes, of course, it's real. I can put my hands on it. I can move it. It's, you know, my drink is sitting on it. Of course, it's real. It's not a figment of my imagination. It's here. It's real. It's matter. It's solid. It's real. Great. Is your body real? Of course, my body's real. It's how you see me. You know, it's real. Then I take them to a new place in the conversation, and I say, think about real in a metaphysical sense. Yes, in the world of form, all of these things we're talking about are real in the world of form, in the, on the physical plane. But on a spiritual plane, are they real? In order for them to be real, they have to be everlasting, eternal, indestructible. Is the chair you're sitting in real? And it takes a moment to realize that it's not real in that metaphysical sense because the chair you're sitting in can be destroyed and someday it will no longer exist. It will do whatever it does, right? Um, end up in a landfill, maybe it'll be set on fire, who knows? But it's not going to be around forever. The table, not going to be around forever. Your body... Your body is just a suit of clothes that your spirit wears. Once your spirit crosses over to the other side, once we experience physical death, our body will stop being. It will do what bodies do. Bodies decay. It might be cremated. So your body isn't real. So what is real? What's real is the Spirit of God that dwells within you, your soul, your soul, your mind, your thoughts, because our mind is really the seat of the soul in a lot of ways, right? That's what's real. That's the thing. Love is eternal. It's never going to be destroyed. Your spirit, your soul is real. That's the only thing that's real. The only thing that's real is this love energy, this God energy, right? It's the only thing that's real. Um, in the Course in Miracles, it says the opposite of love is fear, but what is all-encompassing can have no opposite. So if love is all-encompassing, it's all that exists, it really can't have an opposite. So fear is an illusion, which is difficult to understand, but if you think about it in this way, darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. 
I'm in a room that's illuminated right now. The way I would create darkness would be to turn off the lights. That's the only way. So darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. Fear is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. It's the absence of love. Right? So in a metaphysical sense, the only thing that's real, the only thing that's eternal, is love. Your spirit, your soul, which is all made up of love. God is love, right? And God created us in his image and his likeness. We talked about this in the last podcast. He created us in his image and likeness, and so therefore we are love. That's what we are. That's our essence. And that is eternal. So what does that mean in terms of being a miracle maker? I want to read to you from the first chapter of the textbook of The Course in Miracles. And I'm going to read portions of this, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to talk about it. And hopefully you'll find it um, is enlightening as I do. Um, it's pretty profound. Uh, so the first chapter is called The Meaning of Miracles. And this is the first section of the that um, chapter called Principles of Miracles. And it begins this way. There is no order of difficulty in miracles. One is not harder or bigger than another. They are all the same. All expressions of love are maximal. All expressions of love are maximal. Love is all-encompassing. Love has no opposite. We believe, because on this physical plane, we have sort of the ways, <laughs> we have things kind of messed up. So we believe that there are degrees of love. Most of you listening to me right now would believe that the love that you have for your spouse, your husband, your wife, your partner, your significant other, is a deeper love than the love you have for your best friend. You may also think that the love you have for a child you gave birth to, a child that that's an extension of who you are, that the love you have for that child is deeper than the love you have for again, your best friend or your spouse. We think that there are degrees of love. That is not the case. All expressions of love are maximal. So what's different is the form that the love takes. The content is the same. It's love. And there is there are no degrees of love. If you love, you love completely. It's not possible to love something just a little bit, right? Think about the things that you love and how all-consuming that love is. And we think, we mistakenly think that if I love my best friend as much as I love my spouse, that somehow my love is going to be all used up. And so we need to have these degrees, but that's not true. What is different is the form. 
there is a form and expression of love that is appropriate for me and my best friend that would not be appropriate for, um, let's say it this way. There's, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a, a, a form or expression of love that's appropriate for, for me and my husband that is not appropriate for me and my best friend. So the form and the way that the love is expressed is different, right? The love that I express with my best friend is different. The form is different than the love I have for, say, um, a coworker. We share on different levels, depending on who we are engaged with, right? But the the form is what's different. The content's the same. All expressions of love are maximal. Going on. Miracles as such do not matter. The only thing that matters is their source, which is far beyond evaluation. Miracles ex occur naturally as expressions of love. The real miracle is the love that inspires them. In this sense, Everything that comes from love is a miracle. All miracles mean life, and God is the giver of life. His voice will direct you very specifically. You will be told all you need to know. Miracles are habits and should be involuntary. They should not be under conscious control. Consciously selected miracles can be misguided. Miracles are natural. When they, do, when they do not occur, something has gone wrong. Miracles are natural. Our natural state of thought is loving thought. Our natural state is well-being. Our natural state is prosperity and abundance. Miracles are natural. So does our natural state to... Uh, to experience miracles. Miracles are, he are everyone's right, but purification is necessary first. Miracles are everybody's right, but purification is necessary first. So what is this purification? This purification is what the Course in Miracles would refer to as the atonement. And when we talk about atonement, we sort of start to get into this notion of sin. The Course uses the term sin in the same way, uh, well, the, the word sin is actually an archery term, and it means you missed the target. Uh, in really a strict Christian tradition, sin is essentially, you messed up, you messed up big time, and God is going to punish you. So sin is this major transgression for which you must be punished, and you must repent. The Course in Miracles says, that's not what it is. Sin is an error, it's a misguided thought, and it needs to be corrected. And the atonement is going back to that moment and making the correction. So say that you had um, a really difficult conversation with one of your friends and you said something you shouldn't have said and maybe you weren't as patient with them as you needed to be and you 
came off in a, in a way that was unkind and uncaring. Okay? That's the transgression. That's the, the error. Because God exists outside of space and time, and, and because the only thing that's real is love, on some level, that error didn't really happen. But there's still the effect of it, right? Because on this physical plane, it did. So the atonement simply is to go back to that moment and to choose again and to choose the loving response. To say, I go back to that moment and I see where I made the mistake. I see where I was unloving and should have been loving. And I want to choose again. In this moment, I'm choosing again. And that may mean that I have to have a conversation with this friend and apologize. Right? Um, so that's what it, what we're talking about is purification is uh, necessary first. Miracles are healing because they supply a lack. They are performed by those who temporarily have more for those who temporarily have less. Miracles are a kind of exchange. Like all expressions of love, which are always miraculous in the true sense, the exchange reverses the physical laws. They bring more love both to the giver and the receiver. The, the use of miracles as spectacles to induce belief is misunderstanding of their purpose. Prayer is the medium of miracles. It is a means of communication of the created with the creator. Through prayer, love is received. And through miracles, love is expressed. Miracles are thoughts. Thoughts can represent the lower or bodily level of experience or the higher or spiritual level of experience. One makes the physical and the other creates the spiritual. Miracles are thoughts. All thought creates form on some level. Uh, thought is powerful. Everything that exists on this planet, in this world, began first as a thought. And in fact, God himself thought us into being. Right? So, miracles occur at the level of thought. And what they are is quite frankly, quite simply, a shift in perception. They are a shift in perception from thoughts of fear to thoughts of love. And they happen in an instant. They happen in the holy instant. The holy instance, the Course says, is that is this moment right now. So if I'm going to experience a miracle, it is going to happen now. Um, Sark, uh, again, one of my paper mentors, uh, loves to open her arms wide and say, miracle, find me now. Which is perfect because the miracle happens in the moment. The miracle is the shift in perception from fear to love, and it happens in this holy instant. The holy instant is now because this moment right now is the only time in which our time uh, intersects with eternity, which is God's time, right? Uh, and so that's the holy instant, and they happen right then in this moment. Miracles are both beginnings and endings, and so they alter the temporal order. They are always affirmations of rebirth, which seems to go back, but really go forward. They undo the past in the present and thus release the future.
Miracles bear witness to truth. They are convincing because they arise from conviction. Without conviction, they deteriorate into magic, which is mindless and therefore destructive, or rather the uncreative use of the mind. Each day should be devoted to miracles. The purpose of time is to enable you to learn how to use time constructively. It is thus a teaching device and a means to an end. Time will cease when it is no longer useful in facilitating learning. Miracles are teaching devices for demonstrating it is as blessed to give as to receive. They simultaneously increase the strength of the giver and supply strength to the receiver. Miracles transcend the body. They are sudden shifts into invisibility away from the bodily level. That is why they heal. So we just talked about the fact that your body itself is not real in a spiritual sense. So in that moment of asking for the Holy Spirit to shift your your perception from thoughts of fear to thoughts of love, you then start to identify more as a spirit than as a body, right? So on this physical plane, we identify as our bodies. We're so kind of grounded in this earthly plane that we, we think we're separate from one another because we experience ourselves and each other as bodies, Right? We believe that we're this body, but in a, in the holy instant when you call down the miracle, you become really aware of the fact that you're a spirit, and so you're so you become spiritually focused, and uh, so yeah, the body becomes invisible. A miracle is a service; it is a maximal service you can render to another. It is a way of loving your neighbor as yourself. You recognize your own and your neighbor's worth simultaneously. Sort of that namaste consciousness we talked about in the last podcast. Miracles make minds one in God. We were all created from thought, from God's thoughts. So the Course later says that we are actually ideas in the mind of God because an idea doesn't leave the mind of the thinker. So, uh, miracles make minds one in God. They depend on cooperation because the sonship is the sum of all that God created. Miracles, therefore, reflect the laws of eternity, not of time. Miracles reawaken the awareness that the spirit, not the body, is the altar of truth. This is the recognition that leads to the healing power of the miracle. So at the level of spirit is where the miracle occurs. It's that recognition that the spirit is truth, not the body. Miracles are natural signs of forgiveness. Through miracles, you accept God's forgiveness by extending it to others. Miracles are associated with fear only because of a belief that darkness can hide. You believe that what your physical eyes cannot see does not exist. This leads to a denial of spiritual sight. 
Miracles rearrange perception and place all levels in true perspective. This is healing because sickness comes from confusing the levels. Miracles enable you to heal the sick and raise the dead because you made sickness and death yourself and can therefore abolish both. You are a miracle. So again, on the spiritual level, sickness is not real because sickness is of the body. Now we experience it as real because we experience it on this physical plane. Right? Um, and so I'm not, none of this is to, to refute anything that you experience on the physical level. Right? If I break my leg, I'm going to feel that on this physical level. What these concepts are trying to help us to understand is that there is so much more to us than this physical reality. And in fact, this physical reality is just a blip on the, on the screen of, of our lives as spirits. We are eternal beings, so we are in this physically focused form for such a brief time. It's a blip. And yet we think it is the sum total of who we are. It's not. Um, Abraham Hicks Esther Hex channels this energy named Abraham. And one of the things that Abraham says is that only a portion of our spirit is physically focused. That our spirit, our soul is so expansive that it can't even all be contained in our body. Right? <laughs> I love that idea that we're just these huge spirits and only a portion of us are, are in, this, uh, in this body. So... The miracle occurs when you understand that you are so much more than a body. That you aren't even your body. That your body is just a container. Your body is the vehicle. It's like your car. You get in your car and your car takes you from point A to point B. And it's wonderful, right? It's great. I, my car can take me from Palm Springs to Los Angeles. That's the only way I can get there unless I'm going to fly. And, you know, no, I'm not going to. So my car gets me there. While I'm driving in my car, I don't suddenly think I'm my car. I know that the car is just the vehicle that's taking me to, uh, to Los Angeles. And so it is with our bodies. <laughs> We're not our body. It's a vehicle. Uh, so miracles enable to you enable you to heal the sick and raise the dead because you made sickness and death yourself and can therefore abolish both. The reason we can't... Okay, wait. We can, right? The reason that we don't is because we don't believe we can. When we think of miracle workers, those of us who have a background in Christianity, we will automatically think of Jesus, who was a great miracle worker. First miracle, wedding feast of Cana, turns water into wine. Does that for his mother. And then he goes around the world, around the world, well, yes. Uh, he goes around and he heals the blind, gives sight to the blind, he helps the lame to walk. 
he cures lepers, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And we all think, of course he did that. He was the Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. He was God, the Son of God. Of course, he could do that. What the Course in Miracles suggests, and even what Scripture suggests, is that we are capable of the same thing. Now, there's a passage in the Bible that says that Jesus Christ was like us in all things except sin. Jesus walked the earth, but thought only the thoughts of heaven. His mind was so united with God that he saw only love all of the time. He is what is only potential in us. He achieved what is only potential in us, and he achieved it always. He never sinned. He never erred. He always saw the loving vision. He always saw with love. We have everything that Jesus had. The difference is Jesus didn't have anything else. He didn't have the BS that we have. He didn't have the identification with the body. He didn't have the ego mind, which was giving him limiting beliefs and and uh, the inner critics and the propensity to make mistakes and to, uh, you know, to mess up. He didn't sin. So he that's why he was able to heal the leper because in his sight he saw the leper but he didn't see the body he saw beyond the body to the spirit and the spirit of course doesn't have leprosy and so even in Jesus's sight the body had to release the leprosy because it couldn't exist in Jesus's sight And when he called Lazarus forth from the grave, it was because he understood that Lazarus had not died. His body had died. And so he could even raise Lazarus from the dead. And that is potential in us, which we do not realize, because we are so uh, convinced of the, the power of the status quo. Right? Uh so in some of the Abraham uh, readings I've done um, or that I've things I've read and I get a, a daily um, quote from from Abraham Hicks it talks about one of them talks about how you know we law of attraction are because we're source energy in a body we have the power to grow new limbs so like if I lost my ring finger I could grow a new one the reason we don't is because nobody nobody believes they can. It is too inc it is too incongruent with what we think is possible that it just doesn't happen. That's how powerful our belief is too. We believe, but the opposite side, we believe so powerfully that oh gosh, there's no way anyone could grow a new finger that it just doesn't happen. But there are animals that do, right? <laughs> anyway, um, 
so the course also talks about the the purpose of miracles is to sort of restore um the natural order it restores us back to our, our rightful place of love and miracles will cease to to be necessary at the time when we are completely united with with god when we a hundred percent can unite our mind with god's mind which is our natural um inheritance which is naturally actually it's where we are already right we are already uh united with god when we realize that and our perception becomes knowledge of that then miracles will cease to to uh, be necessary they won't they will cease to happen because their function will be uh, no longer required the course in miracles says you think you have many problems but you have only one. That only problem is your belief in your separation from God. Uh, Marion Williamson says, your only problem is your separation from God. Uh, and, and I take it a step further because it's not possible for us to be separated from God. God is the very breath that breathes in us. God is the spirit that... In, uh, that animates us. God is our life force. It is impossible to not be connected to God. It's impossible. So our problem is that we believe we can be separated from God. But scripture also says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So the miracle occurs when we understand completely not just tipping your toe in the pool right completely when we are so immersed in the knowledge and the understanding of this intimate connection to God that's the miracle the um, miracles are everybody's birthright but purification is required first that purification is the release of loveless thought in the atonement. Yeah. That was a lot to unpack. Um, and I don't think that there's anything more. Well, let's just read this one a little bit and then we'll, we'll leave it there. Miracles represent freedom from fear. Atoning means undoing. The undoing of fear is an essential part of the atonement value of miracles. A miracle is a universal blessing from God through me to all my brothers. It is the privilege of the forgiven to forgive. Miracles are a way of earning release from fear. Revelation induces a state in which fear has already been abolished. So that's what I was talking about before. The revelation at that moment when we're so united with God. Um, that fear has already been abolished. Miracles are thus a means and revelation is an end. Miracles praise God through you. They praise him by honoring his creations, affirming their perfection. They heal because they deny body identification and affirm spirit identification. By recognizing spirit, miracles adjust the levels of perception and show them in proper alignment. 
This places spirit at the center where it can communicate directly. Miracles are examples of right thinking, aligning your perception with truth as God created it. The miracle dissolves error because the Holy Spirit identifies errors as false or unreal. This is the same as saying that by perceiving light, darkness automatically disappears. The Holy Spirit is the highest communication medium. Miracles do not involve this type of communication because they are temporary communication devices. When you return to your original form of communication with God by direct revelation, the need for miracles is over. The miracle is a learning device that lessens the need for time. It establishes an out-of-pattern time interval, not under the usual laws of time. In this sense, it is timeless. The miracle is the only device at your immediate disposal for controlling time. Only revelation trans transcends it, having nothing to do with time at all. The miracle makes no distinction among degrees of misperception. So we said earlier that there are no degrees of difficulty in, uh, there's no degree of difficulty in miracles, right? Um, that one isn't easier than another. And we said that all expressions of love are maximal, right? There's no order of difficulty in miracles. All um, expressions of love are maximal. And by the same token, there is no degree of um, severity or um, how did they just say it? Uh, there's no distinction among degrees of misperception or error. All errors are the same. In the Catholic Church, we talk about, you know, certain sins being very grave sins. Um, and, and that there are certain errors that are more difficult to forgive than others, right? And the Course would suggest, no, forgiveness is forgiveness. It's not, if God forgives, God forgives murderers at the same level that he forgives somebody who stole a candy bar. It's the same forgiveness. It's not more forgiving to forgive somebody who com you know, uh, committed murder than someone who stole. It's forgiveness is all-encompassing, like love is all-encompassing. Forgiveness is a maximal expression. The miracle makes no distinction among degrees of misperception. It is a device for perception correction, effective quite apart from either the degree or the direction of the error. This is its true indiscriminateness. Well, the miracle compares what you have made with creation, accepting what is in accord with it as true, and rejecting what is out of accord as false. So that pretty much covers that whole first section. I only read parts of it. I read a lot of it, but, um, so, um, so the bottom line is that, uh, we are miracle workers because we have the power in any moment to change our perception. And it's as simple as just asking God or the Holy Spirit for, um, for help.
and seeing things the way God sees them. Um, so the, a miracle is, so if you're thinking about a miracle in your finances and you're, and you're thinking, oh, there's, you know, there's not enough money here. And I'm worried about, um, you know, about how I'm going to make ends meet. And I think a lot of us are going through that right now with the COVID-19 um, outbreak. The miracle in that is to say, okay, God, help me to see my finances the way you see them. Help me to look at my finances and to realize that that in your vision, there is no lack. In your vision, everything is love. In your vision, um, I'm, uh, my life is pre-programmed for well-being. And so let me see my finances from that place of abundance and prosperity. Let me see things the way you see them. The miracle in perception, the shift in perception can be in a relationship. Help me to see this relationship through your eyes. And then a miracle can happen in a relationship. Help me see my brother the way you see them, God. Help me see him the way you see him. Help me see the love that dwells within him. Help me see him only with eyes of love and forgiveness. And then the miracle happens. And those miracles are possible. You know, we've even heard stories, all of us, of people who were healed, miraculously healed of disease. You know, there's cancer and uh, there's a cancer diagnosis and, and the person... Uh, prays fervently and and really uh, believes that the cancer is going to be gone and goes to the doctor for another checkup and, and the tumor is gone. It's disappeared or it's shrinking and they don't understand why. It's because those miracles happen outside of time and space and because they transcend the body. And so to whatever extent that person cannot see themselves as the body but see the spirit and say, you know, what's happening to my body is not happening to my spirit. And, and also understanding that we have dominion over everything on this physical plane. We have dominion over everything on this physical plane. I, I pause because I'm trying, I'm trying to believe that myself. <laughs> It's hard to believe. It's difficult. It's difficult. We are so easily pulled down to this level of the body and to the physical plane that we forget. So much of our lives, 100% of the, our life here on this physical plane is relearning who we are, reclaiming who we are. And that's really, that's the miracle. So, My prayer for all of you is that you will understand what it means to be miracle workers uh, and that you'll embody that in your own lives in some way, as I'm trying to embody it in my own life. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, uh, if you have questions, if you have suggestions for the podcast, if you want to give me feedback, I would love to hear from you. 
Um, my email address is manifestingbrilliance at gmail.com. You can write to me there. You can find Manifesting Brilliance Coaching, Manifesting Brilliance Life Coaching on Facebook. Um, I'm accepting life coaching clients um, all the time for spiritual life coaching. Um, if that's of interest to you, reach out to me. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for for just being with me and uh, for listening to me. Um, let's end with just a very quick, well, rather than a prayer, I want to share with you um, uh, something that St. Teresa of Avila wrote. She wrote, let nothing frighten you, let nothing disturb you. All things are passing. God alone never changes. Uh, patient endurance attains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. I love that part. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Thanks for listening. Find something beautiful to create. Bye-bye. <laughs>